Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Basord. I'm a psychiatrist based in London. And today I'm talking to Amy Hagopian, who is an assistant professor, associate professor at the Department of Global Health at the University of Washington. And she and some colleagues across the USA and also in Iraq have published a fascinating paper in uh, the Public Library of Science uh, Medicine. And the title of the paper is Mortality in Iraq Associated with the 2003 to 2011 War and Occupation, findings from a national cluster sample survey by the University Collaborative Iraq Mortality Study. So Amy, first of all, let me ask you, what were your main findings? Our goal was to try to make an uh, estimate of the number of people who died as a consequence of the United States uh, coalition invasion of Iraq in 2003, all the way through uh, the period when we conducted the survey, which was mid-2011. Uh, our um, summary statistic is that we think nearly half a million people um, died as a consequence of that invasion. And when you say as a consequence, are you referring not just to violent deaths being actually directly involved in violence in the war, but other causes that, that come out from the war? That's correct. So our method is to uh, conduct a household survey. We go door to door, and by we, I mean our Iraqi colleagues at the Mustansariya University in Baghdad. Uh, and they uh, asked in each household, how many people lived here before the war started in your household, and how many live here now, and tell us about births and deaths in between. Uh, so that we are able to calculate a before-the-war-started mortality rate and then an after-the-war mortality rate and multiply it times total population figures for the country and determine what we think are excess deaths, that is, deaths beyond what would have been expected from the pre-war mortality rate. Now, one of the problems with this kind of epidemiological work is the methodology has got to be watertight, and often this kind of research is criticized uh, because of methodological problems. So one immediate question would be, how did you try to make sure that the sample was representative of the whole country? Okay, so now you're asking about sample selection. Uh, it our sample selection for this study was actually rather sophisticated and I think is one of the big contributions of this study. Uh, previous studies were um, also household uh, surveys, but the sample selection depended to some extent on the judgment of people conducting the survey on the ground. Our sample was selected in advance, um, sitting in front of maps and at computers, so that the surveyors uh, didn't have to use their judgment on the ground, which is sometimes clouded by, um, oh, does that look like a safe house to go to or not? So our sample selection involved the use of Google Earth and population data loaded into a Google Earth platform on the computer and we laid down grids over the map of Iraq and randomly selected a hundred clusters, that is, large neighborhoods, and then 
uh, once those were selected, uh, we laid an even finer grid down on the large neighborhood uh, and selected a start household by the largest uh, rooftop in that little uh, grid point um, that had again been randomly selected. So it was population weighted um, and then randomly selected start households in a hundred different neighborhoods around Iraq. And when we got to a neighborhood we interviewed 20 houses, households full of people and that way we ended up with a sample of 2,000 households. So you made huge efforts to be rigorous in your methodology and what I found particularly impressive about the study was you also attempted to look at this issue of the fact that because of war a lot of people leave their homes and therefore that could affect your finding because it would mean that maybe people who were particularly affected by violence and deaths uh, weren't available to be interviewed because they'd left. Correct. By the time we were surveying households in uh, mid-2011, um, uh, you know, the violence had been going on for many years and lots of population shifts had occurred. Uh, we were quite worried that uh, the households that were most targeted for violence um, tended to be intelligentsia, people with um, some income and some capacity to leave the country. And so they, by the time we were coming around, um, had largely left. Uh, so we were pretty certain that our estimate was low um, because we missed these high mortality households that had migrated to um, places like Syria and, uh, and beyond. Um, so we attempted to determine how many people had left Iraq um, and then did a division to estimate the number of households that would be and we relied on some secondary survey data that other people had done to determine that maybe 15 percent of those households had experienced a death um, and then did some multiplication and made a correction factor in our estimates to try to accommodate for that out-migration factor. So you estimated that more than 60% of excess deaths were directly attributable to violence, with the rest associated with the collapse of infrastructure and other indirect but war-related causes. And other people have done research suggesting a lot of doctors have left Iraq, and obviously that would have health implications, picking up on the point you made about the intelligentsia. Could you say a bit more about these other causes beyond direct violence linked to the war? Yes, uh, so while 60 some percent of the deaths, uh, excess deaths, that is deaths beyond what we would have expected had Iraq not been invaded, 60% um, of those excess deaths were attributable to a violent cause, that is they were the victim of a car bomb or a shooting or some sort of explosion. Um, but 40% of excess deaths were not attributable to a violent event. These deaths were largely cardiovascular deaths, um, childhood deaths, um, other sorts of nonviolent events. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, f I find this very interesting and, um, and I think when we uh, consider the effect of war on human health worldwide, we rarely consider these excess deaths that are really attributable to the decay of infrastructure in a country. 
Now, we can easily point to the migration away of physicians because it clearly limits access to healthcare services. But some of the most important contributors to health status um, are education, sanitation, transportation, communication. Those are all things that are uh, seriously affected by a large conflict situation. And um, when those infrastructure components decay or collapse, uh, human health is definitely affected and it contributes to death. Now this figure that you've come up with, that close to half a million excess deaths are attributable to the recent Iraq war and occupations, become a hugely political issue and, and a lot of people are arguing about this figure and there, there are some people who are saying that it's a very inflated figure and they point to other statistics like the famous Iraq body count which seems to come up with a much lower number. Why do you think there's a discrepancy between your figure and other people's figures? The Iraq body count is something we characterize as a passive surveillance measure. That is, um, the researchers are not uh, actively um, taking a systematic study of a population and trying to determine um, the frequency of an event, mortality. Um, they are uh, basically clipping newspaper reports uh, to see what other people are reporting around mortality. So uh, if, uh, if a death is significant enough or there are, it, it's a um, large enough number of deaths that occur all at once, it may rise to the level that a newspaper reporter may put it in the newspaper and then they can count that as a death that occurred. Um, as we know, uh, the U.S. forces claimed during the war that they were not counting deaths, um, but rather uh, uh, were leaving that to others to worry about other than counting our own soldiers. Um, and uh, it turned out actually that that wasn't entirely true when WikiLeaks data were uh, were revealed, um, it became clear that the U.S. was keeping some track and then the Iraq body count people had to adjust their figures upward uh, when they looked at um, U.S. tracking numbers. In any case, um, the true public health science approach to estimating mortality is to do a population-based study uh, generally involving household uh, type sampling. Um, and that's the approach that we and others prior to this study uh, have used. And it is considered the most appropriate sort of study for a public health phenomenon like mortality or morbidity. Um, you know, when you say uh, war death is a political matter, um, that's certainly true. But um, you know, one of my goals in life is to help people understand that war is a public health problem. Uh, and public health advocates are, uh, you know, we're against things like polio and the flu and heart attacks because they cause mortality and morbidity among humans. And uh, public health people, therefore, are also against things that humans bring on ourselves, like car crashes and tobacco smoke and war, yes, war, even though these things are uh, at some level political. 
So there's a fascinating anecdote at the end of your paper where you talk to Tim Arango of the New York Times and were asking him about why it was there was this discrepancy between uh, press reports about deaths in Iraq and what might be really going on there. Could you say a bit about what happened in that conversation? Yes. Uh, one morning during our study, uh, we received a call from our collaborator at Mastanceria University saying that a terrible calamity had occurred. His dean had been uh, assassinated in a car bomb um, just moments ago, uh, and uh, his car had blown up and the dean had died in this explosion. And our collaborator was very distraught about this event and upset. Um, and I looked for a report of this in the New York Times. This is the primary university in Baghdad, and the dean of medicine is assassinated, and there's no report of this in the New York Times at the height of the war. And uh, there was nothing. And I contacted the Iraq reporter for the New York Times, um, and he confirmed, yes, they were aware of this, but so many assassinations occur so often in Iraq that they can't possibly report them all, um, which should be an object lesson for the Iraq body count people. Now this is a very important finding, I think, and I, I, many academics in public health all over the world would agree this is a very important study. Um, yet astonishingly, um, you don't appear to get any funding uh, to perform this kind of research. So, so how is it possible that it's done at all? You raise a very important point, which is that uh, unlike even very obscure diseases that, um, that have relatively minor impact on people, uh, war is, as you said, a political issue. And there are really no scientific bodies, um, scientific funding bodies in the US government that are willing to finance uh, research about how we can determine the effects of war on human health and maybe how those effects might be mitigated if we conducted wars differently. Uh, the 12 researchers on this study who came from four universities around the world, one in Canada, two in the United States, one in uh, Iraq, we were volunteers on this study. We had a very small pot of money um, that was at the discretion of one of our uh, collaborators at Johns Hopkins, um, which he used to pay the enumerators who went door to door in, uh, in Iraq across the country and to pay for the transportation and so on. But that was a very small pot of money. None of the other researchers on this study, including me, received any payment for this work at all. Uh, and basically spent our evenings and weekends devoted to this for the couple of years that it took to produce and uh, write up our findings. Well, I, I am going to ask you a little bit later on um, if you have any thoughts, uh, if anyone's listening to this would like to support this kind of research, how they could do that uh, financially. Is there a body they could donate to or, or, or anything like that? I'll ask you that in a second. But. Um, before we get to that, I'm just wondering what has been the reaction in your experience to your finding? I'm interested in what the reaction has been in the academic world, the public health world, the epidemiological world, but also more widely, has there been a political reaction or a reaction from the media or the public? That's an excellent question. Uh, the first two studies uh, that were done in a similar manner 
that were published in 2004 and 2006 uh, received much more significant um, pushback than ours did. Um, that is, you know, even President Bush attacked the study that was done in 2004. Um, and this time, I must say, the response was a bit muted, um, even from political sources. I think now that the U.S. is no longer actively um, engaged in Iraq in a way that we can track in a visible way, uh, the public may have lost some appetite for interest in this. Um, maybe people by now accept the fact that, yeah, when we invade a country, probably half a million people are going to die at least. Um, uh, it's hard to know why the response was as muted as it was, probably for a couple of those reasons. On the other hand, when you look at public opinion surveys in both um, the United States and in Britain, the public believes that the number of people who died in these wars, uh, in this war, is quite low. Um, they think it's 10,000 people or fewer, Iraqi people. Um, and, you know, that's more along the lines of how many soldiers died on our side. So, uh, you know, while the public's view of how many people died is quite lower than the reality, um, still the media isn't particularly interested in correcting that misperception. Um, and the politicians are ready to move on to the next story. Often when one's doing research like this, the, the final published paper, although it's very rigorous and, and analytic, only tells part of the story of how the, what really happened during the research. And I often think uh, the, the true story of what, what happened as, we can, as people conducted the research is often just as fascinating, but doesn't necessarily fit in an academic journal. So did anything happen while you were conducting the research that really surprised you or left a mark on you? And perhaps what was the most surprising thing that came out of this study? Was the final finding the most surprising thing for you? Well, certainly the uh, the number, the mortality number we came up with was lower than we expected. Um, and we worried about that for a while. We wondered how we might have gotten it wrong. Um, and uh, And the migration factor is certainly part of that. So, you know, in that sense, I think the the findings were surprising, although you know, the range of, you know, did 400,000 people die? Did 600,000 people die? Was it 800,000? I mean, when you think about it, those numbers aren't all that different from each other. It's a lot of people in any case. Um, I have to say this was the hardest research project I've ever done, and I've worked on research projects around the world, Uganda and, and South Africa in prisons and other places. Uh, this was a very hard project. Um, when you're doing research with uh, academic collaborators who are on the, in some senses, on the other side from your own government's invasion, it's very sensitive and the conversations are charged. Um, you know, it's, it was my government that invaded their country. And we're now here to study the effects of it. And, and those, those communications are difficult. Um, one of the difficulties we had was with our own Human Subjects Review Board, which 
um, initially felt that we were obligated to uh, reveal to um, the people whose households we entered um, that we were with a United States university. And um, our door-to-door -door data gatherers said, no, we're not going to knock on doors and say we're here representing a United States university. We'll get shot. Um, so there were many difficulties to surmount, some of them merely technical, um, some of them of this ethical nature, some of them um, very personal, these communications with our dearly beloved colleagues on, on the other side of this war. Um, this was a tough project and there were difficulties and surprises along the way, um, but I'm proud of this work. I think it represents a whole nother um, level beyond what has previously been accomplished by way of improvement in methods. Uh, and I wish that there were resources to continue doing this sort of work. The next project we'd like to do um, is to examine uh, disability loss um, in Iraq relative to the war. So we've, we've been successful in counting death, but what about disability and you know, years of functional life lost um, in relation to the age at which people died. Um, those are some secondary questions we'd like to look at. And if anyone's listening to this would like to support that research in any way, have you any thoughts about what they could do? Or is there a particular website they could visit? You know, um, when academics do research, we look for funders to issue calls for proposals. Uh, so, you know, the National Institutes of Health will announce, we're looking for research on uh, drug abuse among pregnant mothers. And, you know, people with an expertise and an interest in that will, you know, write a 20-page proposal suggesting um, why they're competent and qualified to do the work and how they would go about it. Those sorts of calls for proposals are never issued uh, around doing work on uh, estimating the effects of war on populations. So um, if people wanted to contribute to this sort of work, they should probably seek out the researchers who are doing it. It's a very small number. Um, you know, there are people at Johns Hopkins here at my university, University of Washington, Simon Fraser University, uh, directly to Mustansaria University in Baghdad. Um, Columbia University has some good people doing this sort of work. Uh, and, um, and ask those researchers, you know, how could they funnel some funding to that sort of work? Um, and I'm sure that systems could be worked out to put their money to very good use. So one final question, and I understand it might be a very provocative question, but um, if 500,000 people had died secondary to a disease, like an infection somewhere in the world, it would definitely be grabbing headlines. And as you say, it's odd that if people die as a result of a war, it doesn't seem, or this particular war, to, to, to grab headlines anymore in the same way. Um, wars are often sold to a public, to an electorate, in order to encourage people to, to, to agree to go to war. Do you think there's a sense in which your research and your finding is important when the next war is sold to the public? 
that they might bear in mind uh, some of the implications or consequences where the politicians selling the war might try to draw a veil over? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, selling wars is big business and uh, waging war is very profitable for a subset of companies that make the products that are uh, used to do this. Uh, and you know they're now quite good at this over the decades. Um, you know my teenage years were spent trying to stop the United States war in Vietnam and uh, you know I find that our country is just relentlessly at war um, decade after decade. Um, and yes if if there were a disease or or some sort of phenomenon causing this level of death and destruction and not to mention the mental health consequences of returning soldiers and uh, and other victims left behind wow the toll is significant and uh, that's why public health people think about war as a serious public health problem uh, and try to help people think about how we could actually stop this. We have learned how to stop cigarette smoking, how to stop car crashes resulting in quite such a level of carnage, and we need to do the same about war. And doctors need to do something about war then, is what you're saying. Have doctors played a role in this? Is that your question? No, no. Doctors uh, need to do something. Just as doctors campaign about uh, alcohol and cigarette smoking, doctors need to do something about wars as well then. Yes, although public health workers um, include doctors, but they also include a range of other professionals, um, epidemiologists, biostatisticians, environmental health scientists. You know, but public health is a broad field. Um, doctors are certainly an important piece of public health and you know I would say there's a role for every single health professional in thinking about our role in stopping the carnage of war on the public's health. Amy Hagopian, thank you very much indeed. Thank you Raj, it was a pleasure speaking with you.